Hey everyone, welcome. Welcome guys. To another episode of Eigen Bros. Uh, this week we reflected a little bit on uh, Brian Green, physicist extraordinaire, mm-hmm. uh, coming onto Joe Rogan's uh, podcast. What's Brian Green's book? Um, his old one was Elegant Universe. Yeah, Do you yeah, know yeah. the name of the new one? The new one? Oh, I didn't catch it. Okay, no. maybe I could put it on the podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll show in. an image there and then... Yeah. Uh, but check, I mean, Google his name. You'll see his new book. But he's yeah. doing the circuit right now, where he's doing interviews, and he did an extensive interview, two hour and two and a half hour interview with Joe, yeah. uh, where he talked a lot about obviously the universe, a little bit about the book that he wrote, um, mm-hmm. a little bit about his experiences too. Uh, we kind of synthesized it and reviewed it for the first half of the show, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we reflected on some thoughts that we had about <clears throat> about that. And uh, and then we got into what would you say just the some of the general things that he was bringing up about how like aliens yeah we talked about him. aliens we talked about some of his um his psychedelic experience um what do we else we talk about um actually no we didn't cover that oh we didn't no we didn't but we covered we mentioned uh, a little oh, we bit, I guess. bit yeah yeah that's true and a then, little bit uh, and then the the final question the final thing ended on like the big question that everybody asks you know how how did the universe what happened. Before the Big Bang, yeah, or, or what happened with time before, the big, with time yeah, before yeah. the big Bang? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, if if that sounds interesting to you, stick around and mm-hmm. make sure to do all the social stuff. Yes, right? guys. So like, comment, share, subscribe, and also check out eigenbros.com. Check out at eigenbros on uh, Instagram, at eigenbros on Twitter, and then eigenbros two on TikTok. And we'll see you guys soon. Yep. Three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Icon Bros. This is a reaction episode. Mm-hmm. To it's uh, I think there's a podcast out there actually called the Joe Rogan Experience Experience. Really? Yeah, they oh, already shoot. kind of do something like that. So we're uh, copping their style. Yeah, but we're you know we're reacting to a reaction <laughs> to a reaction. <laughs> no, we're not no, that incepted yet. No, 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 but. But uh, same principle here, I guess. This is kind of a, uh, you know, especially when uh, Joe Rogan has uh, very prominent figures in the physics community on on the show. We like to sound off. Yeah, it's a must. It's it's definitely a must. Or mathematicians, you know, like Eric. Right, 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 right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe we should just jump into it. Like, what what do you you think? What did you think of it? I liked it. Yeah. I really think uh, Brian Green shares a very similar view to me um, mm-hmm. in many ways, at least definitely with science. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not so much in um, like religion and things, but mm-hmm. um, or maybe he does, but uh, so maybe some subtlety to it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think a lot of his, his things I agree with, a lot of his perception I agree with. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Fred, I, how about you? What you, what'd you uh, think? I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, he pretty much... It, it, yeah, we kind of agree on everything, but it's uh, there's not there's not a lot of contention between him and I. So, so maybe this will be an extremely boring episode. <laughs> we're just going to be agreeing with disagreeing with him. Like, <laughs> um, I guess but, we should challenge ourselves to maybe think about things that we disagree on. Yeah, yeah. If there's yeah. any subtle points, and then well, we can maybe go off those. Well, I mean, I, I know you would probably argue with him about the religion thing because he oh yeah, definitely. About how it's like a it's a necessary tradition. Yeah, I, I I think I kind of agree with him in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but I still think I could find um, flaw with his thinking there. At least something to counter. 
I think it's useful culturally. Um, it has it, it serves a purpose, like culturally, and, and then just him saying that it was kind of interesting to hearing a physicist say that these kind of social things that we do culturally are important for for humanity. You know what I'm saying? Because most physicists or most scientists uh, kind of are of the caliber where it's like social stuff is stupid, right? Mm-hmm. So seeing him say, you know, this is kind of, these things are important. Obviously he framed the framework that he builds it on is a, is a evolutionary biology or psychology slash sociology framework. And, uh, therefore justifies what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I, I mean, yeah, you can, whatever framework you want to wrap it around in or whatever fucking, uh, you know, wrapping paper you want to use to, to pretty it up, uh, Nonetheless, it's still it's still a useful thing. So opinion. I think um, you're you're right in some sense because um like of course we like to keep traditions right just mm. because um it kind of gives us structure and organization. Mm. But um my only argument against it is I think that we could maybe maybe we can use those elements, mm-hmm. but I would like to separate it from the sacred part of religion. Mm-hmm. So I think the problem with religion mostly that I have is the fact that it's. It's so it's used as a way of describing the universe. If if religion was only the tra- the traditions of like feeling spiritual and like giving yourself ethical meaning and things, mm. then I'm completely fine with religion. Mm. It's just that you can just from what I've seen, every religion I've seen, they do not separate that kind of framework from the describing the universe framework. I see. That's the biggest problem I have with religion. I think mm-hmm. if we had some kind of new form where that those two were separated, where we use science to explain the universe, but then yeah. the religion to capture tradition and ethics, yeah. then I would, com- I would be completely fine with that. Mm-hmm. It's just that it becomes a problem over time when you have a religion because they actually start asserting how the world is working mm-hmm. into into classrooms, into legislation, into politics. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes a big problem. Mm-hmm. So then I think it's not worth it to even have. Ah, I see. When it becomes overbearing and, and, and like you're trying to force others into your point of view in a sense. Right. It's um, entering a domain which it has no place in. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would tend to agree. Like, you know, just it should be about persuasion, not legislation if you're trying to like, you know, force people into especially religion you know what i mean like right right you like shouldn't that. have to say like oh we're gonna teach creationism a long evolution it's like no we're not there is absolutely no <laughs> you know scientific basis it, it for was that. funny it was funny i was arguing that a long time ago i argued that i said they should oh really yeah oh <laughs> so young naive one <laughs> i don't know I, I, is it naive oh you don't think i don't know is it i think it is Okay. Because two, they're two different systems, right? Because sure. creationism asserts that it already knows the answer based on no evidence. Right, but I think I think asserting that in a scientific – like in a classroom where you're saying, by the way, these two things are based off of totally different mm-hmm. – they have totally different bases. And if you want to operate in a logical framework, science is the way to do it. But creationism, folks, you know. Oh, well, you're saying it's a counterexample to how yeah, to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's maybe not good because then you're going to make uh, religious kids Well, Well, uh, I mean, no, you're not. You're not. You're just stating a fact. You're saying this is a this is a faith based yeah. system. And this is a sort of, 
you know, evidence-based thing where it's like, you know, they're two totally different things. Now you can have this opinion of creationism in a way that's fine, but we still have to teach you, but science is more like you can study religion for all that, but this is I think you could probably get away with that in a college setting. In a high school you setting, you're going to get a lot of parents complaining. No, yeah. I think it's easier to just ignore <laughs> religion in a in a high school or a lower environment so that you don't ruffle any feathers. That's true. That I don't true. think we're mature enough as a society to handle that yet. No, no, no. I, and I mean, like, I, I also said this as a, as a sort of compromise between parents who are Christian or whatever just because they're paying into – they're paying into public schooling, yeah. And you know, so when they're paying your bills, they have a say, right? Yeah. They have a stock. They in have that. a stock. So, in that. unfortunately, yeah. I mean, unless you want private schools, people. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. So nonetheless, uh, yeah. The, the, he he often he they they kind of went all over the place with this one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they went some interesting and good areas. I really liked this one, and it kind of gave Brian Green. Um, a more human side to me. And I got more respect for him after this podcast, mm -hmm. which I think I, t I tend to always get when I watch Joe Rogan podcast, mm -hmm. because it, it gives people the time to actually show you more of their dimensionality instead of just being this one dimensional figure that always does X or Y. Right. Know? Yeah. Br Brian's definitely one of the few American physicists. I think that kind of resonate in being like, I guess Sorry. no. I guess in being sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just yeah, more more not afraid to be human, not afraid to connect to that kind of, or not have that kind of, not not shy away from the kind of human connection that he has mm -hmm. uh, to his experience. And uh, you know, there are other physicists or whatever that come on the show, and they're very, how would you say, just analytical. Straight, yeah, straight they're very the much in the mode of being the researcher or the scientist. Yeah, the facts. They're talking about their book. Yeah, like maybe chapters in their book or something. As yeah. opposed to like, hey, you know, how how was it writing the book? And mm -hmm. he just kind of went into like what headspace he was in. And stuff. Right, right. I also thought it was cool that I didn't. He was such man. Twenty. He said he finished his PhD at twenty seven. <laughs> Dude, he said he was a professor, professor by 27. 20, okay, I'm like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> Could you imagine being a professor at 27 and people no. are looking at you like, you're a graduate student here? No, I'm a yeah. professor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I look and I'm like, right now, I can't imagine looking like one of the students and then teaching. Dude, that'd be so hard. Could teaching, you imagine? Teaching quantum mechanics or something and then being <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, guys, uh, you know, make sure to turn in your homework. Yeah. And he actually raised a good point about that when he was saying that um, he kind of was more of a hard nosed. We probably will get to We might get to it in the clip, but mm. he was more of a hard nosed, super, um, you know, analytical, rigorous yeah. physicist when he was yeah. 27. And I feel like a lot of guys who are young physicists, professors get caught up in that same kind of mentality. Yeah. Like we've had, we have one, I'm sure you could probably figure yeah, out yeah, a few who, it are, yeah, who they are. Yeah. They have that. I call it the young guys syndrome mm -hmm. where they're trying to prove themselves to be like, you know, we're, I'm a rigorous real faculty yeah. member I'm because rough. they want to they, yeah, they need to distinguish themselves from the graduate students. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are, there, there are a couple that carry that mentality and, and, uh, but then they're usually at the worst professors because they just are just so overboard. It's like, damn dude, like yeah. this ain't normal. Yeah. Yeah. Just relax. <laughs> you need to, yeah. You need to give people like, uh, you need to give people the ability to do other things instead of all research, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, nonetheless, it was, 
Yeah, I, I just thought it was fascinating. I'm like, dude, this guy must have been brilliant. Like twenty. Yeah, he I guess said so. He took. He said he took a literature. He took literature for like a. A year, a and year, he still graduated. He still graduated super young. Yeah, I was like, "Damn, bro!" <laughs> when, I'm did like, you go to college at like fourteen. I, I don't know, get it. What happened? <laughs> what did you do? Did you graduate undergrad at twenty or something? Like, <laughs> right? Maybe he was man. He could have been like a prodigy, like a Terry Tower or something. Maybe so. Who knows? So. I don't know anything about his like his or maybe uh, he's background. Like, or like maybe that. he's like uh, what's his name the the guy that has a squeaky voice. He's super string theory guy. Ed Witten. Ed Edwin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the very. He's got this very way of talking where he's yeah. very precise and he never says um or anything because he's so <laughs> precise in his speech. I love Ed Witten though. He's like he's, great. he's like the t- he's like a prototypical example to me of what like a super genius looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, is this guy even human? Yeah, he's he's so by the book kind of uh, uh, quintessential. Like, well, he just speaks like a robot. Like, yeah. Every, everything he says is, like, precise. He doesn't stutter. He doesn't say, um. He always knows what he's saying. It's like he's just speaking like he's a book. Yes. <laughs> he's already had... He and he's a, a very a- just flat, one-dimensional <laughs> stare, you know? <laughs> but people Look say he's, up. like, one of the smartest guys. I actually put him on the Twitter if you guys want to see. I got a yeah. video clip of him speaking in a, um, when he won the 2010 uh, Nobel, um, not Nobel, um, 2010 uh, Newton's Prize or something, mm-hmm. I think. And he he's talking about the um, the uh, the trajectory of string theory, but it was back in 2010, so it was yeah. it was a little, it's not as in a dire straits as it is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just he's a, he's a funny guy, but um, what was I going with that? Um, shit, I distracted you too. Uh, it's okay. It doesn't yeah. matter. Ed, Ed Witten's another one of those guys. There's so, it's so funny seeing when he has, I actually, Ed Witten would be a good person to get on the show. On, on Joe Jerry. Yeah, Dude, I couldn't imagine. Joe Rogan would probably be freaked out by him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just might. He just might just because. I don't know if he would ever do anything like that though. He's not very social media active. No. Like if you look at his Twitter, he's got like 30 tweets or something. Yeah, but I mean like Ed's one of these guys that – oh, this is what I was going to say. Ed's one of these guys that are prodigies, that are geniuses. Both of his parents were physicists. Yeah. Now, uh, Brian Green's parents, he said his dad was a, was a like a showman. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Um, which is super interesting because his propensity to study – Physics was more of like a natural curiosity. Right. As and it happened early on, apparently. Yeah. He said he was interested since he was like six years old. Yeah. And that's that's very rare. And, and yeah. uh, I also liked what he said about how he tells students that are coming in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, make, expecting to be Einsteins of the, mm-hmm. of the you know, of, of whatever field they're in or, or whatever – he tells them it's you're more likely to, to contribute, you know, than to actually make it leaps and bounds or whatever. Be one of these one of these big people, and right? And I, I I like to tell people like Einstein wasn't even an Einstein. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what I mean by that is history Einstein, rewrote itself in a way. Not, maybe not rewrote himself, but people always get overhyped due to circumstance and luck, right. right? Einstein happened to be this guy who who was at this perfect crossroad where he came up with. Uh, the special relativity and general relativity, and then also his well, fame got magnified from the uh, energy equals mass uh, mass times uh, velocity squared, speed of light squared, 
and the atom bomb. So he had mm. these things that were tangible to science to where it blew him up. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he has a legacy, though. His legacy is that, well, it, his trajectory isn't as, as linear as some might think, right? Because like, he started, yeah, yeah. He, he was like an attorney or something or some kind a of patent guy. A patent guy, yeah. yeah. Or he worked in a patent office. I don't know if he was actually like a patent. Oh, like, okay. He worked in a patent office and... It was just a shitty job. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I mean, like, his first paper was, a quant- I think we mentioned this before, quantum mechanics, uh, you know, the work function thing. Yeah, the uh, photoelectric the effect. Photoelectric effect, yeah. yeah. That's that where was, he got his Nobel Prize. That was him. Yeah, that's his only Nobel Prize. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, a, it's actually laughable that that was his Nobel Prize compared to general relativity. Yeah, like, yeah, are you kidding me? Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, whole field of physics. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then you know a couple of years later he goes into special relativity and then he goes into but by the way at this point he kind of synthesized according to a lot of people he synthesized special relativity like at the time there were ideas already coming into play and he just put it all together uh, yeah but the idea before sense. him was like the idea of the ether because people were saying that waves need a medium to travel yeah, through yeah yeah and then Einstein kind of just dismissed that and was like eh, let's just say that light doesn't need a medium and you know he saw some experiments but that- there were also like but there were also uh, classical sort of treatments of um how would you say relative f- physics like what's happening in relative coordinate systems right oh like, like galilean like, transformation okay like sure and like um retarded uh potentials with stuff um like e&m electro yeah. uh, you know electromagnetic theory yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, so there was some there were some things already there because there were gaps that he kind of saw that weren't couldn't he couldn't find answers to, and so he had to come up with this thing where speed of light has to be constant. Yeah, I think well, I think he came about that experimentally because people were saying like, you know, the Michelson and Morley experiment was mm-hmm. how they actually figured out the speed of light. Yeah. Um, experimentally, and they found it was you know three hundred thousand kilometers per second. Mm-hmm. Then I think somehow they figured out that also when it was moving, you get the same result. So no matter where you're measuring from orientation, you're, yeah, you're always getting speed of light equals 300,000 kilometers per second. Yeah. And then Einstein's like, well, screw it. Let's just use, you know, velocity equals distance over time, set velocity as a, as a fixed parameter for light. And then that means that distance over time, they have some coupling, you know, mm-hmm. space and time have this coupling effect where, you know, since you measure, um, since you measure light hitting a certain point in two different frames mm-hmm. at different times, that means that your, your space must adjust. Mm-hmm. So then therefore it's a very, actually very elegant and easy conclusion that it means that space and time must be linked somehow. Yeah. And that's where his paper of special relativity came. Right. It's, it's such a simple yeah. idea. And then he just carried it out to, to the nth degree. Right. Yeah. With, with general going to general relativity, but general relativity took him 10 years or so. Yeah. But I was just even talking about special relativity. He, oh, yeah, he, yeah. yeah. He went next level with GR, yeah. you know, but he still went a very far away with special relativity yeah. and made a lot of interesting, you know, conclusions just yeah. from that. Yeah, no, it's, it's just fascinating. And you, if you expect to be one of those people, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because he, Einstein was also at a crossroads in physics where at the time it was the turn of the century, early 1900s, and quantum mechanics was being discovered. Right. You know, and, and then there was still a question of special relativity uh, or, or just understanding. There's a lot of, a lot of good 
material open. Questions unanswered, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that's what I was saying, basically, where, you know, it's like Einstein's not even an Einstein. Like, you have to have luck plus opportunity, yeah. you know? It's like a combination of things. That's why it's so hard to... That's why there's so few people who are at the top, right? They have not only the skill, but they also have the luck be, to yeah. go with it. So, you know, it, it's something you can't plan for. Right, and, and for those of you who have taken some basic sort of university phys physics courses and stuff, a lot of the experiments that they did back in the day, like, you know, for Bohr's, like, model of the atom or something, mm -hmm. uh, you can sort of reach that conclusion with assumptions that you can make already just with uni physics, uni university physics, mm. and come to, like, the same conclusions he did. And it might then, not be that obvious, though. It I'm might sorry. not be oh, that obvious. Oh, at the time. Yeah, but like I mean, all these things new, seem simple because we Newton's, know the answers. Yeah, though. but Terrence, you're using Newton's laws, like just to kind of derive. You're some right, of that stuff. but you cannot diminish it, man, because you're still looking at this from a framework of all of the knowledge you know now. Mm. Like all of these things seem pretty easy now. We're like, oh, well, that's low hanging fruit. You always say everything opinion, is it low. Is? It's not though. You everything is, is low hanging fruit when you have hindsight. This mm. shit took the greatest minds in the world to try to figure out. Now. Mm. So it's not low-hanging fruit. It's just okay. the fact that we're in a, in a state where we think of it as low-hanging fruit now mm -hmm. because it's basic or common knowledge for a physicist. Mm -hmm. But these things are not that simple. I think coming up with a lot of this from scratch is not straightforward. Gotcha. Because there's also many other pathways, right, that mm -hmm. can potentially be the way. So you also need experiment to verify these things. You need certain things to happen before some of these conclusions can be made. I see. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just um... – yeah, it, it's just still, nonetheless, it while it feels like it's low hanging fruit. Yeah, I mean, I get your point. You're saying that it's it takes a lot of original and creative thinking to kind of come up with stuff. It like does. This. We just look and, at the uh, equation and say, "Oh, look at this uh, e equals mc squared." It's only three variables. Whoa. <laughs> well, what la ti da? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, but then when you actually look at the history behind it, you know, just think of like energy. How we went to the yeah, vis-viva con yeah. controversy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds of years of debate. For people to come up with that answer is because you have to narrow down the whole field yeah. to be able to see what actually pops out and what sticks. It's like, yeah. yeah, some people might have come up with momentum, let's say, like in Egyptian times or something. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. true, but I could definitely see that happening. Right. Mm -hmm. But to be able to synthesize that with the conservation of momentum, like that's not uh, that's not that obvious. You know, right, right. I see. No, that's fair. OK, well, then. Yeah, but I mean, nonetheless, I think Brian's point still stands where it's like if you're coming into the field expecting to rock, you know, the foundation of it or something, or even nowadays, I think it's much harder to contribute. Um, yeah, you need a lot of education. Because you need a lot more. Yeah, you you need to learn the formalism. Th this is kind of what's troublesome about, like, schooling now, I think, in a way. Because the more the more stuff you have to learn, the more the more schooling you have to go through, right? Yeah. So if fields and more fields and more fields develop, either physics physics is going to have to diverge from like being purely just non application physics, and they're having this discussion discussion within our department right now, actually, to sort of split the department into two. By theory and experiment? Well, sort of, yeah. By sort Dude, of. I would love that so much. Yeah, <laughs> like, everything is treated like, I'm, I'm sure some of people are in our audience knew that we talk about this, but uh -huh. 
it's kind of crazy that theorists have to like go through a th- or experimentalists go through the same track as theorists. It's like we la- we waste a lot of time yeah. learning a bunch of stuff that are never going to really help us that much with our no, experiments. We're not going to use. <laughs> yeah, and then we're completely deficient in the experimental realm mm-hmm. until we actually do our research. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these kids coming to experiment, it's like they operate like theorists. Like they can't do basic experimental stuff. And I'm like, dang guys, like, yeah, you know, you gotta have some kind of, uh, some kind of intuition for experiment. Yeah. But I, I don't blame them because there's no training for that. They see experimental training as all in the research mm-hmm. and all of, and then your actual main course track is all theory. Yeah, and all the theory guys, this is their research in a sense. Yeah. Like they have to found they have to know this stuff foundationally and for experimentalists, they don't necessarily have to because they might never use this stuff. Right. Um, they need to have more of a It's more specialized. Yeah, we need we need like classes on experimental techniques and yeah. like you know, like using utilizing like frequency to do measurements. Like that was yeah. a critical thing I realized that <laughs> You know, or I learned a, in grad school that I should have known yeah. probably before that. It's such a basic thing. Yeah, using a current source and stuff, you know, you gotta Yeah, learning electronics. Like <laughs> these things like they expect you to learn this on your own during yeah. research during experimental uh during your research, but it's like it's a waste of time for us to be learning about, you know, magnetohydrodynamics when I'm doing you know, research on, <laughs> let's say, uh, you know, magnetism. Like well, I guess that's a bad idea because that's a bad comparison because magnetohydrodynamics yeah, yeah, magnets yeah. are in the name but yeah you know just, just something that's unrelated let's say yeah 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 there like, are, i don't need all that yeah but the argument is that a lot of theory guys run the departments and so they kind of they control how the coursework is and so a lot of them don't want to let that go a lot of them don't want to yeah the point the, my point being is that it's the way the, the the fact that we de- we're developing the physics and stuff as we go along, you're adding more and more course stuff that you need to know. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's extending a lot of the time that it takes to get a technical degree. Right, and right. It's a little bit troublesome, right? Because imagine if a hun- in another hundred years we discover another branch of physics that then physicists decide. Oh, undergrads have to learn this too. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's kind of like it's gonna be untenable. <laughs> I mean, that's how we become aliens. We're just so focused on school that I know, right? You just... know, we're in school for like seventy years, and then we can finally start some start doing things. <laughs> like I've been in school for ten years, and it's been not exciting. Like, right? You know what I mean? It's it's just been uh, it's been a pain in the ass. No, I, I just I you know I reach a point where you want to create with the knowledge that you have. That's so true, man. That's why I had to leave. Yeah. You know, at 32 years old, I feel like, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a bucket full of water. I'm just <laughs> spilling out with information. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I have so much information right now and I'm not, and I haven't done shit with it. Yeah, so it's yeah. like at a point in life, you know, I can't be 30 years old and have never done anything of value. It's like, <laughs> you just feel like such a waste of life, no matter yeah. how much information you learn. Like I know yeah. a bunch of shit, but yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, what are you contributing? Yeah. Are you just going to learn forever and then do nothing? <laughs> But this is why the podcast is a creative outlet for this right. kind of stuff. Right. This is why um, this is why I think we invent we did it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because That's we're like Yeah, we're like we have to start contributing something. I, yeah. I don't even give a fuck what it is that I put out in the world. I just need to make something. <laughs> same here, same here. I'm, I'm, I was at such a level of just I need to create frustration. Yeah. yeah. Same same here, man. And uh and I think if you're coming into physics with that mindset, you just want to create something. That that creation is the contribution mm-hmm. to science. And that that's that's honestly, I think we need to start no. it sooner. 
you know, mm. like maybe take a few classes in the beginning and then like, you know, like maybe three classes the first year and then just like one class next and then all research from then on. Well, funny enough, uh, I think physics is one of the few degrees that you have to take a lot of classes for. And you're, and yeah, you're I think you're right. Graduate you're right. career. It's one of the, yeah, because other programs, apparently they only take a couple, like maybe. And then in Europe, I don't think they even do any classes. Like they just immediately start you in research, you know, <laughs> like after undergraduates, like that's it. Yeah. But I get, they have um, more of a head start because the kids will start physics in like middle school and then they're locked in, you know? Yeah. But what yeah. a great system. It might work. I don't know. I'd have to really think because then, yeah. then I also don't like the fact that you don't get to enjoy your, you know, your teens. Mm -hmm. Like as when I was coming out of college, at least for me, I, I feel like it's important to somehow incorporate that, you know, where you're not feeling like your your youth is wasted. Mm -hmm. You know, when Brian Green was talking about how he did uh, psychedelics, or yeah. maybe not psychedelics, he said something. Yeah, I'm imagining maybe it's like some kind of, you know, like kava or something or, cause he, or he said he smoked it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did some kind of smoking um, drug. Let's say sativa. <laughs> oh Jesus! I don't think he. <laughs> <laughs> but he said it was one of the worst experiences ever. Yeah, yeah. But I really um, that. it was interesting because I'm like a lot of physicists don't get to do stuff like that, and I feel like most physicists are like more like straight edge because the dedication it takes, the amount of time it takes to actually go through the physics track requires mm -hmm. you to do so much academic focus mm -hmm. that you almost have to forego any kind of social well not any kind of but a lot of social and like the the, the college experience of people's like as people like to say yeah you know like solo cups and <laughs> beer pong and partying and shit yeah, so yeah, you yeah. kind of have to give that up right because you, you have to do you have to dedicate so much time to study exactly. even during undergraduate even during undergraduate you know they make it they already set you up in a in a way in undergraduate where it's like obviously you're going to go to phd so yeah. like you better be like acting like a PhD student pretty right. much from the from the from get go. The start, yeah, I just don't like that mentality. I just think it's um, it's a shame. You know, you lose out on um, you lose out on a on a critical piece of being a human. You know, mm -hmm. you gotta explore socially. Yeah, and if you lose all of your twenties, it's like damn, you have some regret. And you know, yeah. I think that's why you know. Brian, has Brian like does these, you know, people like he had to go through a whole year of literature, which I think was great. Yeah. You know, cause he, he found time to actually be able to explore that. Yeah. I, I think the humanity side of, uh, just, yeah. Cause it's uh, physics is kind of robbed of that human element. And it, it was so funny when he said that he taught a class on origins, what is it? Origins and meaning or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where it was like multidisciplinary and students were coming in and mm -hmm. he was having discussions about just how to, how their fields might be impacted by the physical world. Yeah. Like of what we know. And a lot of them, it was like an emotional response for a lot of students. Right. Right. And like, it, it's funny because yeah, physics, it's so removed. Like the classroom is so removed from emotion. Yeah, it is. It's very impartial. In fact, the relationship even from professor to student right, is a right. wall. Like there's a there's sometimes, a, sometimes you I, know some advisors like to extend emotional branch, right? You know, but at the end of the day, it's like if you have mental issues or something or mental health issues, they're not going to reduce or they can reduce your workload, but you can't rely on them doing that. No, like you have to. They'll probably just tell you to withdraw or something. Or yeah, or they'll say like you need to seek um, a counselor or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of yeah, but. It, yeah, it's it's just seen as, it, it's just yeah. It, the, seeing him sort of bring out the humanity, uh, or how important humanity is to 
to uh, in being the a full work, like being a full person person yeah. was was cool because you don't get a lot of that. Like yeah, you don't. You so, don't. You know, it's funny, man. Um, <clears throat> uh, I I was at a, a hospital um, for a surgery for from a family member. I was mm-hmm. there, and um, <laughs> it's just so funny. I was like. I was just so amazed at how like uh, nice the nurses were and the and the staff there. It's like I was like, damn, I forget what it's like to be around like people with emotions sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they're just like I'm like, damn, they're just so like um, they make you feel so welcome and yeah. and like it's like all it's like it's like the extreme end of physics mm-hmm. or the op- extreme opposite of physics is like um, the health professions like right right the nurses there i was like man i was, I was thinking i was like man these would be the like if you had nurses and then if you had physicists and like engineers like at one place i feel like there'd be a lot of like hooking up <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's like the it's like the people who are deficient in one area and then the people are deficient in the other area yeah when they meet it's like a perfect balance i feel like right right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this no. is interesting it was just an interesting observation i was like damn all these nurses are just so um it's like the polar opposite of what yeah. sciences are well to be honest you need more people like that in physics i 100 percent because agree. the the people the best professors that i've had have always cared a lot about the students right right e- even to the even Sometimes they say to the detriment of my syllabus, <laughs> I will care more about the students and what they're learning. And that's, mm. that means a lot. Like, and, yeah, and yeah. That, that just means they care. They're very accommodating. They're like, what am I doing? Cause sometimes professors don't give a fuck. They're just right. Like, they're like, you're fucking dumb. You guys, are you stupid. catch up to my <laughs> yeah. level. I'm like, yeah. dude, your level is like 20 years, plus, 20, 20 years past us. It's like, Jesus, man. Yeah, so that's where all the imposter syndrome happens. Why every graduate student feels like they're a phony. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you need you need you, we need more of those people, but those people get weeded out too. You know, sort of institutionally. So then the feeling. Yeah, because yeah, this, this professor it's a hard that I thing had to keep up with this, with that environment. This professor I literally had. She got. She was one of the best professors in my undergrad, and she got kicked out. Same with well, – that was a similar story with mine. Yeah. She was the one who inspired me to finally take the plunge and say, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do physics yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. She was such a nice woman and, like, so um, so good at conveying concepts. Yeah. And in, in a conceptual level, I was like, all right, this is definitely for me. Like, yeah. I was I was testing the water with her, so I took yeah. an undergraduate physics with no calc based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once I did went through her class, I was like, this is it for me. And I learned some, I've learned some of the most valuable information in her class yeah. in that first class that I carried through with me, like that lasted until my, um, upper division yeah, undergraduate. Yeah, yeah. I was like, geez, dang the quality of a good teacher, man. But she got, she got pushed out, you know, same because people thought she was kooky and weird. So that's so funny. She kind of got ousted. Well, I mean, my professor didn't get ousted for kooky and weird. It was just like, I just, I think politics, but, but even then it just goes to show that people like that don't really make it it's the the institutions aren't built for for stuff like that i think because she cared so much about the students that she uh you know she would want to give them good grades but she would challenge them accordingly and stuff and Mm. and it was but nonetheless most students ended up on the positive end of the curve but we learned a lot But it was skewed toward it was skewed too high maybe maybe point average i don't know okay maybe yeah i mean i failed i failed her class the first time Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was more personal stuff going on. Okay. But like, yeah. But you still like her. That's a good. But, uh, yeah. I took good. her when I took her the second time. I was like, yeah, she's a really great professor. Okay. Like, you know, um, yeah, man. I think um, institutions do not reward um, uh, 
unusual thinking. I mean, no. you know, uh, just to 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 put this out there, I've been more of a I've been more act I've been more of like a um, person who's attached to this this Discord. So I've been using Discord a lot lately because I've been addicted to the Eric Weinstein Discord, the Portal Discord. Shout out to the Discord. Yeah, and uh, he talks about. Um, a concept in there called the distributed idea suppression complex. He calls it the disc. And it's basically all the ways that institutions suppress um, atypical thinking or mm-hmm. atypical um, ideas, or I sure. guess, because I guess he, the way he puts it is uh, institu- how institutions um, suppress ideas that are against the institutional narratives. Oh, okay. So it's a very interesting concept that I don't think people have really laid out. At least I haven't seen anything really well laid out on it. And it's once again, it's called the disc, the D I C or D I S C. Um, and this falls into that. I feel like, yeah. Um, you know, it's like how the institutions basically homogenize the people in there because it's so rigid and it becomes worse and worse over time because there's so many check boxes that now literally people have no freedom to, to work outside of those check boxes. Right. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's so funny. Like you have to be a, a kind of Brian Green esque person probably to get away with even trying to do something like that, e- even trying to challenge the status quo. I imagine a class like Origins and like I think it was Origins meaning I don't remember the name exactly. Yeah, I think you're right. It takes us. You have to be a certain kind of professor to to propose that to depart to the department and say I want to offer a class to you know what I mean. It's mm-hmm. Because that, that can also change things and make things kind of rocky depending on which department. I imagine you had to have tenure by that point. Sure. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound like a non-tenure idea. <laughs> yeah. But a professor at 27, I mean. Yeah. He, he, had a, he had a way good start Man. on people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, nonetheless, uh, to the actual physics, though, there was, uh, I mean, I, actually, actually to the actual interview, I would say. Yeah. What's our time? Um, 30, 36? Yeah. Yeah. That's not so bad. I thought we had a good discussion there, so I don't think the audience will be too mad that we're not watching <laughs> clips. <laughs> that was more of a reflection of the actual uh, review. I mean, the actual uh, talk. But yeah, um, but yeah, he they talk about uh, what he thinks about why aliens haven't visited us. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is something that. Um, so I, I was listening to the podcast while I was working on uh, one of my presentations. So like, it was kind of. I, I don't. I have lapses in my. Uh, Fair enough. I watched it a couple of days ago, so mine is also not super fresh. But uh, nonetheless, we have it here queued up for you folks, uh, and I think we'll pause whenever we have something to say. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. cool. Um, all right. Here we go. Experience. When you think of human evolution, do you ever stop to think what are we going to be like a yeah. million years from now if we do survive? What. Have you ever done this sort of thought experiment where you say, okay, if things keep going the same way, right. we used to be very strong and very hairy and we're getting pro- you know, progressively softer as we don't need to use our bodies as much. Our brains are getting larger. Our heads yeah. are getting bigger. Do you, do you do that sort of thought experiment to see what we're going to become? And- Not in a systematic scientific way because the process is so fraught with incredible detail that I think it's hard for anybody, even experts in evolutionary biology, to really tell us anything that will hold water, that's really predictive. But on a general level, yeah. I mean, because, uh, you know, people often wonder, why is it that we haven't been visited by aliens, right? This is a thing that comes up whenever you're talking about 
other life inside the I was universe. Get to that in a minute. With yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 the answer to that could be quite straightforward. Nobody out there cares about us because we're so ill developed. We're so young on the cosmic scene that there's nothing interesting for them to find here on planet Earth. So to me, there's a natural explanation for why there can be stuff out other life out there, and yet they don't hang out around planet Earth. Just the way we don't hang around an anthill to try to have a conversation with you know what's going on inside that particular structure i i think uh it's kind of interesting that the the statement about evolutionary biology and he brought that up and he's like maybe there's nothing interesting which is true but at the same time i think there's something more to say i mean it's almost an infinite universe so there's probably it's probably likely that there's intelligence life intelligent life out there right like at least that's what the, the the Drake equation says. You know, that's right. the that's the only equation I believe that I'm aware of that tries to quantify the probability of how much life is in the universe. Right, and the Drake equation is this uh, equation that has multiple terms or factors um, linear, right? Like they don't they're not. I think so. They're like some linear, linear combination of terms. Yeah, so it's just like you know. What is it? Uh, there could be some polynomial terms, though. I'm not sure. So what we mean by that, by linear terms, are just that they are just one variable, like yeah. added added net to the next. Right. So it's... A plus B plus C plus D, right. so on and so forth. But in this case, it would be, what is it, proximity to, to its sun, a planet's proximity to its sun. Uh, the fact that there are some, like, planets in particular regions. Right. Um, the like fact the that there's zone yeah the Goldilocks zone of an Earth-like planet mm -hmm. you know has to have the same size or a similar size right. within a threshold and then has to have water um, yeah all those factors then added up and then you get a probability that comes out mm -hmm. and it's a high probability that life exists from the right. Drake equation and it, and, and I think communicative life which is a distinction too mm -hmm. um, meaning that a life that is like us that has the ability to control you know, electromagnetic waves, you know, to send communication. Mm -hmm. So I believe he even factors that into the equation. Oh, interesting. Well, that, that one's interesting because the reason why we want to communicate is because we're social creatures. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like evolutionarily speaking. And, and I, I don't know if in a universe where resources are scarce, teaming up is probably the most advantageous move, Right. In a, in a, in a, in a, oh, you mean like if we're on just earth with earth humans, no, but in a universe, the universe has scarce resources. Yeah. Yeah. Like not, not all but teaming up is not the best. If you're a different, if you're a different species, you want to kill them probably. No, I know. But if you're the same species, you want to team up. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. there, there are exceptions to this, right? There are like lions and you know, there are certain species of animals that don't team up. They don't. Lions. Just, oh, like if another lion's I'm pack sorry, sees another lion. lion I'm pack? sorry. Tigers. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Tigers don't yeah. team up. You know, they're very. They're. I think cheetahs also are are kind of. Not sure. Runners. Uh, but nonetheless, I think. Well, also grizzly bears, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're they very, have too much to eat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still. I think the most successful creatures on the planet are probably social creatures. I think you're right. So I mean, including us, right? Yeah. Um, but then successful is also. It's hard to define, right? Well. Because like you could say lions are social, but they're 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 in dwindling numbers, and we have to constantly right. monitor their populations, right? Yeah. So it depends. But it's still a much a much more advantageous 
um, how would you say, survival like, dynamic, right? I would think so, but then you could you can argue like um, look at let's say grizzly bears, like you said, they've been around for a long time. I mean, it seems to be advantageous for them. So I think it just depends on your ecosystem. That's so interesting because I could not imagine, I couldn't imagine an alien race that just operated like that, where it's where it's a couple. Like say a, a parent, like a grizzly bear or something, like yeah. goes to their mother, and then the mother teaches them how to like survive in their world. But in in a sense, an alien race that was, and I say alien in the sense that different, not not of this planet. Pretty much, they can look however they want to look. Mm-hmm. So don't picture a gray alien thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that they can they can have. How would you say? Um, somebody passed down like the. The necessary amount of knowledge. I mean, I, yeah, this is all like neurochemistry stuff. So it could be that this species is so intelligent that they can, yeah, they can learn like the essentials uh, for survival. Like, but even making like you know, making like a crude like radio frequency emitter or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm I'm not seeing Are your you point. Losing me because yeah, we're because we're we're social creatures. We. Our base of knowledge is, is is recorded in the annals of history. Well, let me say this. I know a way around that. You mm-hmm. could say that um, maybe if you don't like to share knowledge and you have your – let's say you have your body of knowledge. Yeah. Maybe there's independent bodies of knowledge where the mother creature you're talking about is not so, like an asocial species. There's different sects. So mm-hmm. basically like an A creature and a B creature, they're the same species, but mm-hmm. they have their own bodies of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So then they might have different pathways of evolution. Maybe so. But it's, it's I see that as a path of more resistance if you're trying to uh, accumulate knowledge. Maybe so. Accumulate. But then also another thing you can maybe say is maybe it's a cyclic process where right now, let's say your word really advanced species that mm. is social, but let's say there becomes there comes to a uh, an a a, 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 um, a a point in evolution in a human evolution where it actually becomes more advantageous to us to be a, a single entity. You can almost think of Earth as a single entity. Yeah, it's a collection. We're like a collection of molecules. Like we 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 see ourselves just as humans as a single piece. Yeah, but then actually our bodies are composed of cells. We're really yeah, like yeah. a multicellular cellular organism. Yeah. So it's almost as a matter of perspective, right? That you could say like a single right um, uh, 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 entity or something, right? So maybe we get to a point where we're all jacked into the the machine mm-hmm. <laughs> and we use all of our collective consciousness like the Borg to be a single entity. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. Which is yeah, true. I mean that that would that would that would make us the amount of brain power there would be great, but um Maybe that's the next step though. Maybe that's the way to surpass um or for longevity of survival yeah. at that level. Well, I just think necessarily what what an alien species would look like would be also a social species, but it also it would make sense. Yeah, it, it, it makes the most sense. And the other fact is that they don't necessarily have to be intelligent. Uh, we had to develop intelligence because we were put in certain social pressures. Like Earth was resource abundant, but and there were a lot. There was a lot of life forms that were coming around taking advantage of all those natural resources, right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of had to compete as an organism to do all that um, or to take advantage of the abundance in a way. Humans, I think, are interesting because, you know, we're not born with any any sort of exoskeleton or 
you know, any, any tough exterior, any, mm -hmm. any sharp claws or anything. We're delicate creatures. We're like flowers. Right. I think our, I think our um, deficiency actually leads to our growth our, of our brain exactly. and everything. We yeah. have to compensate, right? Yeah. We're we only, know we can't win that way. So we have to. Yeah, we came uh, only figured this, another way. Yeah, we're arm, armed with our minds, folks. Mm -hmm. You know, to take a page out of a, out of a, I think it's a book or something. <laughs> no, there was just a quote. I think it's "armed with a mind" or something. Maybe it's a song or something. Mm. I don't remember. Not sure. But basically, yeah, this is uh, you know, as humans, we come to this earth just only only with our minds as as tools, and uh, and it may be that there are species where. I would assume that the greatest asset is their mind. You know. Yeah, it would seem that way, but we're a sample size of one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we don't really know anything for sure. All we can just speculate is based off of our own biochemistry. That's or our biology. So yeah. it's like everything is always like a maybe, maybe, maybe scenario. Yeah. We can always conceive of these things, but until we have another at least one other species, then we can never really know, right? Yeah. Until we so, get off this planet. Yeah. But let's see. Okay, let's keep going. By that argument, the least. You because, do? Really? Yeah, okay. because we're interested in butterflies. Butterflies are so boring. We're, we're interested in moles. We're, we're interested in, you but know, interested in, in squirrels. In, in, we're interested in them for very specific reasons. Sure. Right? So typically we're interested either because we want to see the evolutionary development that yields this particular life form or because there's a general curiosity about how this object is put together. If these other beings are so far beyond us that those kinds of taxonomy questions are no longer of any interest, then hanging around here may not hold any thing for them to uh, make the journey and stick around long enough for us to notice. I, I don't buy that again for two reasons. Okay. One, because why would we assume that they're so far beyond us that they wouldn't be interested in these talking monkeys with thermonuclear weapons who dominate an entire planet? Yeah. That would be fascinating. Right, we but found I, but, some planet right. somewhere where people are... The, the politicians all lie to themselves. Everyone gets video through the sky. <laughs> they fly in metal tube. Yeah. Do you think Joe is losing uh, losing the argument here? I do. I do. Why is that? So I believe um, he's not un not understanding that a lot of science is based on what you don't understand. So you kind of lose interest over time in certain questions um, once you do understand it. So Brian is trying to think very, very far on long time scales. You know. He's trying to think of what what the ultimate. He's, he's extrapolating what the ultimate goal of a scientific pursuit is. So, like, it's if you're saying, let's say, if you're studying evolution, right? Evolution of a certain species. Mm -hmm. If you already have studied, let's say, if you're an alien species that has access to many, many different um, forms of life, mm -hmm. and you're let's assume that your form of life is superior to, to most of them. Mm -hmm. And you've studied them for, let's say, even thousands of years, and yeah. you've already come to a conclusion of how the evolutionary processes work. Mm -hmm. You become less interested in those things over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like you can see it within fields already, like when they take off, let's say like when, when, uh, when, um, I don't know, let me think of an example. So like when uh, uh, string theory was taking off, it got really huge in like the 80s and maybe even before that when it was new and people were had a lot of discovery left, mm -hmm. but then these fields taper off over time as the problems become, become less interesting. Yeah. 
So I could easily see what Brian is saying. I think Joe's not really able to understand it because he's not maybe used to um, analyzing things from a scientific framework, mm -hmm. you know, in a lab setting or even in a theoretical setting mm -hmm. using mathematics. Um, so I think, I think he, yeah, I don't think uh, Joe can really fully understand it yet because he just isn't in that environment. Right. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think he's, uh, I mean, it's an important point to make about how, you know, maybe these people are in, maybe these, this race might be interesting. Unless, of course, they've simulated already just the universe. Or something. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah, if yeah. they already figured out how evolution works yeah. completely, like they, there's no surprises, really. It's a completely predictive model. Yeah. Then it's like it's kind of boring now. It's like what's yeah. the next what's the next scientific question? Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to, and you have to also consider the timescales involved. It's like what, what Brian is, was saying. I don't know if he said it now or if no, he, says it, he says it later. Okay, yeah. yeah. You know, if they're a billion years ahead of us, like, just think of how far we have come within 2,000 years' time. Yeah. Imagine Not even, if, like, 400 years. Yeah, exactly. Just, just getting good at physics. Right, right. Yeah. And then try to extrapolate that to six orders of magnitude higher <laughs> of time scale. Like, it, it's completely beyond our reach of comprehension. Yeah. So... Is. We're such yeah. a young species that we're 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 still figuring it out. I'm sure. I'm sure they're. I mean, unless you're a benevolent species, you might be like, you know, let's let's go help them out. Maybe not even though, mm -hmm. because I mean, think about it with this. Like, imagine the Sentinel tribe. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're hostile to any outsiders just because they had one bad experience with an outsider, and now they're they're dangerous. They're dangerous to hum to not humans, to people outside of um, their tribe, you know? So it's like aliens might come to the same conclusion. Humans are dangerous if mm -hmm. they ever made contact with us. So it's, there's a big distinction between contact and observation. You know, I think it might be plausible that aliens still observe us, but they could be so advanced that we just can never catch them, yeah, right? Detect them or anything. But they might not want to ever contact us because then if you start opening that can, now you're now you're gonna have to start now you might have to start integrating with them. They're gonna expect you to share technologies. They're gonna expect you to share resources. Yeah, and then and the fact that we might not even be ready as a yeah we morally could, as a species right to have exactly that much power. we not might not be able to handle that. Like yeah. imagine trying to integrate with a sentinel a sentinel tribe. Like yeah. it's gonna be very difficult. Like they have so much. They like imagine putting a sentinel guy into um, New York a new yeah into New York. Like his mind is going to be blown every single minute <laughs> because there's so many different things that he's not aware of. Yeah. So it's it's such a leap. Yeah. To make it wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And then imagine if, let's say, even if they were so far beyond us intellectually, like a Sentinel guy still has the same brain as us. He still has the same mental and intellectual capability as us. Imagine if they have a higher level of capability for us. If you put a chimpanzee in New York. He's never going to have a job. <laughs> He's never going to be able to be able to pay bills. He just is mentally not capable. And they probably won't be impressed at all with uh, the level. I mean, animals like that are right because they're not their brains are not wired in a way to be impressed. Yeah, they don't even know what that means. <laughs> so if we're at that state compared to an alien species, we don't even know what it means to live on that plane of existence. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see that because, um, you know, when we were talking about the Borg earlier, it's it's a repulsive concept for us to think of losing our individuality, mm -hmm. right? Like to join a collective consciousness. 
what if that's what it, what if that is what it takes to be a higher level uh, civilization mm-hmm. you have to basically abandon your your need for individualism right 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 if we're already repulsed by that concept, maybe we just aren't ready for that kind of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what That's I mean? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it's like once you start carrying these things out further and further, mm-hmm. I mean, and the Borgs are clearly a superior race. Right. Because they are by all the way, aligned. By the way, Terrence is talking about Star Trek. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Trek for people <laughs> who aren't aware. But the Borg are a clearly superior race to us. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, logically you can see that. Like they're all on the same page. They all know exactly what's happening with every single one of them at each time they can all make decisions collectively. They are not attached to their individual self. So they can make mm-hmm. sacrifices very easily. Mm-hmm. They're superior to us. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what it takes. But since humans are repulsed by that concept alone of just losing individuality, we're stuck mm-hmm. and maybe an alien civilization make that leap. And then they, they yeah. progress from even there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. That's just an example that I can think of that makes sense. Of, that's, a, that's a good point. You know, yeah. No, that's a good point. The difference in, in intellectual capability. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Um, so actually, before we, I guess there's time for one more video that I wanted to get to. And it was okay. uh, what he said, what was happening before the Big Bang. All right. Um, the Joe Rogan experience. Here's the thing that I've always wanted to ask someone like you. What do you think was happening before the Big Bang? Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's a it's a deep question and a, and, a, and a subtle one. And there's sort of two ways that I like to think about that question. One is it could be that uh, the Big Bang was an interesting event, but not the first event in the totality of reality. It could have been the first event that sparked the expansion of our part of space. But it could be that there's a grander realm of space within which we sit – as a small part, and that grander realm may have been here for a far longer period of time. It may have experienced its own Big Bangs, maybe a collection of Big Bangs that may extend infinitely far into the past. So it could be that the answer to the question of what happened before the Big Bang is a lot of other Big Bangs or a lot of other quantum events that were taking place in a larger landscape of reality than we have direct access to. However, another answer is that the very question may not make as much sense as the words seem to suggest. We know how to parse that sentence. We know what it means to talk about the moment before the Big Bang because we know how to talk about the moment before your birth or the moment before the Civil War or the moment before any event that happened in the world. We fully understand the meaning of that kind of sentence. But it could be that when it comes to the Big Bang, the sentence actually doesn't mean anything. It could be that the Big Bang was the place where time itself started. And uh, Hawking himself had a wonderful analogy to get this across. He said, look, I'll dress it up a little bit. Imagine you're walking on planet Earth and you pass by someone. You say, hey, can you point me in the direction of north? I want to walk in the northward direction. They point you, continue to walk. You pass by somebody else. Say, hey, which way is further north? And they point you in that direction. But when you get to the North Pole and talk to somebody there and say, hey, how do I go further north? They look at you and say, whoa, That question doesn't mean anything because this is where north begins. There's no notion of going further north than the North Pole. And it could be that that spatial metaphor applies to time. Talk about a billion years ago or 10 billion years ago. But if you go to 13.8 billion years ago, the Big Bang, that may be where time started. And you can't go further back in time than the very origin of time itself. And that's something that I kind of wanted 
to well, that's something that I've always kind of reiterated to people. Yeah, too, naturally. In a way. I think this is a, this is a concept that's easier for a physicist or a scientist to, to digest. Yeah, just because we're. We're used to like building universes from scratch. Mm. Um, most people are used to living in the universe and then trying to understand like, how does that even make sense? They're trying to internalize it. Whereas we're just seeing it as like an equation, like, mm. oh, you need to add time in this to even make it make sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is one of those disconnects where it's like you're people who are used to the math. It's kind of a simple concept. Yeah. Whereas with people who are not used to the math, I mean, after this speech, I think Joe Rogan is his mind blown because <laughs> he's, he's thinking about it. He's internalizing the concept. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's not surprising though, um, because we're so coupled with time, right? Yeah. I mean, humans, the human experience in the classical regime, like meaning in in the human scale of life, um, space and time are so one to one in a way. Like you know, you don't you don't see instances where time feels slow, um, unless you're in love. You know, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the romantic. That's what I said. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. But uh, but the other thing was, um, yeah. So it, it's just it's funny whenever you have to explain to someone that time is a concept like that. That the birth of the universe was also the birth of time and space and time. Right. right. So before that, there there we can't necessarily say there was any space and time. Right. Yeah. And that's just because we have an ignorance of what lies outside the universe. It's simple mm -hmm. as that. It's yeah. like, all we can do is we can only talk about time for the moment of when we actually understand how to measure things. Mm -hmm. We just cannot measure outside of the universe. So there's, it's a metaphysical question almost at that point until yeah. we can actually figure out a way to get outside of the universe. Right. It's, it's like a question if it's, if, if you run the clock backwards all the way back to the beginning of the universe, and you keep running that clock back. What would what would it look like? And it was just it would just be like, well, you know, then you you, you would get the big bang, and then you would get static. Yeah, almost. Like, well, you just get nothing after that. Yeah, you have the you run it all the way back. You get the moment of creation, basically big yeah. bang, and that's it. Yeah, that's all we can talk about. That's all we can talk about. <laughs> yeah. There, now, the, what what initiated this this uh, this big bang? I think he kind of gets into it, right? He says what could have caused it. Mm -hmm. He says. Uh, some quantum fluctuation stuff that yeah it was interesting i never heard of it repul before repulsive gravity basically yeah yeah he was saying it basically came out of the einstein field equations yeah, if, I, yeah. if i believe that's correct yeah that's pretty much what he and said and i guess it was um you get negative energy or something maybe negative mass so you have a, a repulsive energy i don't know if, yep. if that's true i think he said it was a negative energy he said you get repulsive yeah, you, you get a repulsive force instead of an attractive one right right and, and that's uh, pretty cool i mean cuz we've never seen what a repulsive um, well, gravitational dark, well, dark force would be. Is kind of that, right? Or dark. Uh, oh yeah, dark you're right. Matter, but yeah. that's still kind of like. I don't know if he's positive. Yeah, I don't think he is. I think with the Einstein field equations, that's what he actually mentioned mm -hmm. during this clip. I don't know if we'll be able to get to it, mm -hmm, but he mentioned that um, in Einstein's field equations, we know how solid those are. You mm -hmm. know, they work pretty damn well, and they've, you know, Einstein's never really wrong. Sure, <laughs> he's not been wrong yet. Sure. And um, since we get so many right things of the Einstein field equations, he's assuming that since you can get a negative energy out of the Einstein field equations and then follow that calculation to get the Big Bang um, expanding, it's probably right. Mm -hmm. It's just that we um, have never seen an instance of that. Um, and I think dark energy may lie outside of that. Yeah. Don't quote me on this, though, because I don't know anything about dark energy, really. 
I don't even know how they got to the conclusion besides the experimental data. Yeah. The only thing I know about dark energy is that it was a correction because like if you analyze the spinning of galaxies, yeah. you actually see that um, I think the angular momentum is off mm -hmm. because the mass is not the correct mass right. to have that spin. Exactly. But that's the only, that's the only um, experimental or I guess not experimental. That's the only calculation I know of how to predict dark energy. Mm. I'm sure there's other means though, is why they all came to that conclusion. Right. Um, but anyway, my point was that, um, I'm not sure if, if it's as solid to say dark energy is an ex is, uh, is the cause of that, um, repulsive mass right. or that propulsive gravitational field. Yeah. That kind of caused the big bang or whatever. Yeah. Whatever I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm that's not sure I either. Say. I mean, we can all talk about what what created space and time because that's really that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about the big bang like what events yeah. what events caused and really space time and time for create to create to be created right and i mean really time is not even something you can talk about like with without motion mm -hmm. i mean literally there is no such there's no i don't know if there's any useful way to speak of time when there's, no, there's no motion yeah. yeah if there's no change so time is almost like this emergent thing where it's it's a way to um, quantify change. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So so time is almost like this abstraction in some ways. Yeah, it's a measure. I think of it's our way of measuring. I think entropy in a way, right? Would you say it's you can measure entropy that way? Um, like it, no, I'm not I'm sure saying, if it's it, only no, but not not in the strict scientific sense. Not not in the sense that it's like the mathematical one where it's like. Entropy equals like the log of blah blah blah. I'm saying no. I see what I'm you're saying, saying yeah. yeah. I'm saying like just you're just how, saying that how the, things tend to change, right? How things tend to disorder, but yeah. um, but you can have localized pockets of of entropy uh, mm -hmm. decreasing, right? It's just that entropy always increases. Um, net the net. Well, I guess if anything is changing, then I guess entropy is either going up or down, right? Yeah. So I guess you're right. Yeah. So I guess that's probably a true statement. But yeah. you can probably you could probably um, you could probably uh, assign meaning of to time in many different ways, mm. right? It's it's a way to quantify energy. It's a way of quantifying motion. It's a way of mm. or like or like um, not quantifying, but it's a way of um. Uh, talking about things that change yeah. i think anything that changes probably time has time can be involved yeah not that time has to be involved but time can be involved yeah this is like trying to this is like trying to say what what your personality was before you were a baby or something or like you know before you were born or something you know something that's sort of like what like what are you what are you trying to ask you mean it, time existing yeah like, yeah yeah, sort yeah of I like, guess that's you know a, what, what were you like it's a weird analogy because it's like not nah, it doesn't fit that great but <laughs> but that's kind of what the question is to me like that's how yeah. it sounds yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah what are you talking it's almost about? a nonsensical answer a yeah. question yeah, yeah yeah of course it's not though because we can as humans we can always conceive of something being before something else right but it's just it's too hard to answer it's like yeah. it's it's almost as hard as saying like why does anything even exist at all you know, because really, why should any? Why should the universe even exist at all? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a more fundamental question about what happened, what caused the Big Bang. Yeah, but then you you can always go to the what caused that and what caused this. Like, really, the fact that the universe even exists doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, nothing really should exist. It's the ultimate free lunch, people. I think I've said this before, <laughs> but it really is. Right. It's like where but, did all this energy come from? 
Yeah, but there's a certain there's a certain there's certain questions that scientists you you just can't even begin to answer. No. And like maybe that you could say there's a realm for philosophy. I don't even know if it's a realm for philosophy because no. I don't think they're going to be able to really talk with any kind of – maybe it is because I guess with philosophy, you're not trying to answer questions anyway. You're basically just trying to um, – I see philosophy as, as making interesting questions. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a realm of philosophy and then you can kind of talk about the logic around it like mm-hmm. – and maybe you maybe will bring up more questions mm-hmm. but – I don't think there's a field at least, let's say that will answer any of those questions right, until, right. you know, until it looks like it might be on the horizon. But for gotcha. now it's like the horizon is way, way out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it ain't, it ain't even close. Oh, it sucks. It's, it's so. kind of depressing, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah, I think we're, we're yeah, pretty I think good. This, huh? I think this is going to be it. Um, but uh, yeah. So I guess any, any finishing thoughts? Um, if, I mean, if you haven't watched the podcast, definitely watch it. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Check it out. Um, and, oh, and uh, I want to say also Brian Green shout out for being one of the first physicists to actually admit to doing psychedelics. Oh, <laughs> is he really? Yeah. Or at least, at least on the podcast, he admitted to doing drugs at some point. Yeah. No physicists ever really admit that or at least say yeah. it. Most of them haven't probably. I don't think they're lying about it, but mm-hmm. shout out him for him for actually yeah, good on not him. being a little pussy about it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, maybe we should bleep that out. <laughs> not being a beep. No, nah, no. Nah, actually, nah, we, we don't want to bleep. Beep. We don't want to bleep that. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, he's you know he's American. Okay, he's, yeah. he's vulgar. He's crude. <laughs> you know, um, you know. Brian had an Oxford education. We had you know we went to public education like plebs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So it was good. Check it out. All right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, we have, do we have a question? Uh, we didn't come up with one, but we want to do one now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, so, let's, uh, what's your, uh, favorite Brian Green quote? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking uh, maybe, maybe like along the lines of like, what, uh, what, what questions do you guys have following the podcast? Maybe like, um, or maybe some, maybe uh, which 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 part of the Brian Green podcast, specifically the Joe Rogan one, did you find most interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, at the very least, if not, what questions did you have about our podcast that you found sure. more interesting? Two part question. Uh, Two part question. So <laughs> yeah, in case you didn't even listen to the other podcast, yeah. Um, so because it's kind of long, you know, we, we just kind of the audacity to think that they listen to us over Brian <laughs> Green, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm sure for this podcast, we're going to get a lot of outsiders, not in our, um, not in our subscriber base anyway. Maybe. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, in any case, uh, let us know what you think and yes. uh, like, comment, subscribe, share, mm-hmm. most importantly, follow us on Twitter at Eigenbros and you can pretty much find us anywhere else, Spotify, iTunes, yep. and then uh, iTunes. TikTok, all the social stuff. Yep. So t- TikTok is Eigenbros2. Uh, we have Eigenbros on Instagram, and then you you mentioned the Twitter, yeah, at Eigenbros, and then we also have Eigenbros.com, and check out all those things, guys, yep. and we'll see you next episode. Cool.